Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Hello, dear listeners. This month we'll consider together the prophecy of Jonah. If there's one thing that everyone knows about Jonah the prophet... It's that he was swallowed by a great fish and was spewed out alive by that fish three days later. As it happens, however, the book of Jonah is not all about that great fish mentioned only in two brief verses. The book is about broken people in need of God's grace getting mended. That's certainly a reference to the wicked city of Nineveh. And yet the bulk of the book focuses on the interactions between the Lord and his prophet Jonah. As we'll see, God is concerned for the evil of Nineveh, but he is even more concerned about the prophet. God is going to teach Jonah through painful experience that everyone needs mercy from God. That leads us to consider in this first meditation, Jonah 1 verses 1 to 3. The book begins with these words, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah was a prophet to whom the Lord spoke directly. A prophet was one who stood in the Lord's presence, listened to his voice, and passed on to the people what he had heard. Jonah was a preacher of the gospel. His ministry, according to 2 Kings 14, took place in the 8th century BC, in the time of Jeroboam II. This king was a sinful and idolatrous king in the northern kingdom of Israel. So the Lord had called Jonah to call the king and the nation to repentance. But his message from the Lord was also one of undeserved grace. We find that message of good news included in 2 Kings 14, where we read that Jonah announced that God would restore the shrunken borders of Israel to where they were under King Solomon. Jonah, then, was in a remarkable position. He could announce and then also witness the grace of God to Israel. But now God was calling Jonah to bring God's word to some surprising recipients. He's not told to visit the unfaithful people of God. Instead, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil, its wickedness, has come up before me. Now, why is this so surprising? We need to know a few things about Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. Today, it's located in northern Iraq. For those days, it was massive. Jonah 4 verse 11 says it had more than 120,000 people. And for an Israelite, the word Assyria was a name that brought shivers up the spine. Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. In their writings, they depicted in grisly detail their brutal acts to their captives. They tortured their victims by dismemberment, decapitation, stretching, or by flaying, all of this while their captors were still alive. They also burned people alive. For over 250 years, their enemies, including Israel, feared and hated them immensely. 
And now comes Jonah's calling, a surprise calling. Jonah, on Israel's behalf, is called to pack his bags and head to Nineveh. Israel had broken God's covenant, yet the Lord does not tell Jonah to prophesy against Israel, but against Nineveh. And on Israel's behalf, it's to be a message of grace. How can we say that? Tell the people of Nineveh, your wickedness has been seen by God, and he's going to wipe you out. Where is grace in that? Well, there's a reason to send a warning to someone, unless you want to give them a chance to avoid judgment. God's warning was intended as a call to repentance. Well, Jonah gets up to go, but he does not go where the Lord sends him. Instead of going to Nineveh, he fled the exact opposite direction, to Tarshish. We don't quite know where Tarshish was, It was a port city somewhere on the coastlands in the Mediterranean, west of Palestine, somewhere on the western coast of modern-day Spain. But the fact is, this place was the farthest known geographical point. It was in the complete opposite direction from Nineveh. Called to go east, Jonah goes west. He abandoned his calling. He takes off for the port of Joppa, and he finds there a ship leaving for Tarshish and willing to accept him as passenger. He buys a ticket and goes into the boat to go to Tarshish. Why? Did he run because he was afraid of being flayed by the Assyrians? I highly doubt it. We don't get the impression that he's a man easily afraid of people. His past obedience saw him bring the word of God faithfully to God's unfaithful king. No, Jonah runs not because he is afraid of failure. Instead, we find out later in the book that Jonah ran because he was afraid of success. He had a sneaking suspicion that God might pardon that city, and Jonah did not want that. You see, Jonah's problem is ultimately not with the Assyrians, but with God. That's what verse 3 is getting at when it says twice that he rose to flee from the presence of the Lord. He did not agree with the Lord's way of dealing with people in the world, and so he resigns from his commission as prophet and flees from the Lord's presence. Does this sound familiar, listeners? Is this not also why we often turn our backs on God? Because the Lord refuses to fit our assumptions of who he ought to be? He does things we don't think he should do, and he does not do things that we think he should do. We come into circumstances that we didn't hope for, and our reaction is to run away from a real relationship with God. For in a real relationship, we actually have to engage with a God who refuses to conform to our wonderful plan for him. Are you disappointed with the circumstances of your life right now? God has not given you something you've wanted. Could be a job or a relationship. Or maybe he has given you a job or a relationship, but they're not living up to your expectations. What do you do with that frustration? You see, typically, it's not just your circumstances that you're frustrated with. It is God. God has the power to change your circumstances in a flash. But he has not done so. 
That's why disappointments so often distance us from God. We become angry because he has not given us what we wanted in life. And we think he does not know what is best for us. And yet this very frustration may itself be the means by which the Lord is going to give us what he wants, which is so much better. Are you going to trust the Lord to be God, even if he asks you something that does not make any sense to you? If you are not willing to trust that God knows best when he contradicts your desires, then you are not really fearing the Lord. Maybe for you, it's not so much your circumstance that frustrate you as your sanctification. Your struggle with ongoing sin that hurts you and those around you. You've prayed and prayed to the Lord to take it away, but so far he has not seen fit to do so. How will you respond? Well, again, you struggle not merely with your sin, but with God. That's why in the midst of sin, we so often distance ourselves from God. The basic problem is that we're not willing to accept the reality of the God we claim to serve. This is us, listeners. This is Jonah. This is Israel. Not willing to accept the reality of the God whom we claim to serve. But the nature of God's grace is that it's for him to give as he sees fit. For his will is different from ours. And that means that grace is his to give to whom he wants. Jonah's selfish response endured into the days of the Lord Jesus. Our chief prophet came to preach the gospel. He preached it to tax collectors, prostitutes, lepers, sinners. He preached grace. He displayed grace. He shared grace. And Israel rejected him. But he was the obedient, faithful prophet, submitting to his father's will with joy, even though it would mean a cruel death on the cross. Our Lord did not run from the will of God. He replied, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. We read that in Hebrews 10. He went to the cross with a message of grace. He obeyed his God, who sent him from heaven with the call, Go to my creation and call people to repentance and faith. And his son obeyed. Christ obeyed because he knew that God is faithful and that all his purposes are holy and good. Jesus Christ delighted to do his will. That delight in God's grace put him on the cross. He died for his enemies, for those who rejected his grace. He died for us, so that we could receive heaven's mercy and grace that we so desperately need. Listeners, marvel at him. Perhaps your heart is hard toward the Lord. Perhaps you're frustrated at his refusal to submit his will to yours. And maybe at times you think you know better than he. Consider again how much you have received from the sovereign God who loves you. Will he not ensure that your circumstances, your relationships, or even your stubborn sins will work for good in your life? 
rescue or refuge is found not in running away from the Lord, but crying out to him for the strength to follow his will, as hard or as confusing as that may be. So revel in the beauty of the Lord's grace and love, and rest assured you can never outrun him or escape his perfect plan for your life. Submit to his will, cherish his grace, and know that it is sufficient for you. Till next week, the Lord willing.